Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. From Crooked Media, this is Unholier Than Thou. I'm your host, Philip Picardi. Maybe it's hard to believe since there are no corporate pride floats or rainbow storefronts, but this month was indeed Pride Month. To all my friends at the LGBTQ community, happy Pride Month. At the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, I spent a lot of time talking to activists and organizers about the AIDS crisis and the shocking and disturbing parallels between the early days of that epidemic with the early stages of the new coronavirus. And let's be clear, these are two very different viruses with very different stigmas attached to them. But still, the similarities are a little hard to gloss over. Like COVID-19, the AIDS crisis laid bare the systemic discrimination in the healthcare industry, disproportionately impacted people of color, left people in need of testing and treatment without options until it was too late, and showed exactly what happens when an incompetent, so-called religious, presidential administration turns its back on marginalized people and refutes the science that's staring them right in the face. And also like COVID-19, countless people died during the HIV-AIDS epidemic, and many of them didn't need to. In fact, American history still has yet to effectively grapple with the systemic queerphobia that led to these deaths, and just how much of it was motivated or endorsed by the church. Today, we're going to talk to an organizer from ACT UP, the iconic, fearless coalition of activists that led to sweeping systemic change for not just HIV-AIDS, but for much of what the FDA and Dr. Fauci are capable of accomplishing with today's pandemic. If you watch a little show called Pose on FX, and honey, you should, then you may know exactly what's coming. The day when ACT UP organizers infiltrated St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan to orchestrate a demonstration opposing the Catholic Church's involvement in New York City politics. Anne Northrup, one of New York's original badasses, who's currently planning the massive queer march for Black Lives this weekend, was there that day. And she has the arrest record to prove it. For those of us who don't know, can you tell us what ACT UP stands for and why you felt called to get involved with the organization? The AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, a diverse group of individuals uh, uh, committed to direct action to end the AIDS crisis. That's an abbreviation because I've now forgotten every word. But uh, the point was that there were a lot of uh, agencies helping take care of people, treating people or, or uh, you know, helping them in their lives, but there was not the political urgent movement that was needed. And what I found when I went to work at Hetrick Martin and started doing AIDS, AIDS education in late 87, was that even though I had been covering the epidemic since 1981 when it was first written about, in my news work, uh, I really didn't know what the real issues were. And it was mind blowing to me to get involved uh, in AIDS education and with ACT UP and find out that it really was a political issue, which we're seeing played out in so many ways today again. But it was about people in power 
who didn't care about the lives of anyone else and were perfectly willing to let people die. So whether we're talking about uh, black people in the South being lynched or sent off to die in Vietnam or women dying of uh, illegal abortions or uh, people with AIDS who were not being cared about at all and were dying by the thousands or George Floyd in Minneapolis with a cop's knee on his neck uh, and every other instance of that, it is people in power killing people who are not them in order to retain their power. Why would those police in Minneapolis not let him up? Because they wanted to continue to hold the power. So with ACT UP and with AIDS, what became instantly clear to me was that it was this same power dynamic. And that what was needed was that urgent, urgent direct action movement in the streets to demand uh, change. And I had seen uh, millions of people going into the streets during the Vietnam War stop the war by demanding that it stop. So that feels very much like home to me to be able to go out and do that work. ACT UP was known for so many things, uh, maybe its slogans like silence equals death, but maybe more particularly its actions. Um, what would you say was the point of you and the organization in so pointedly disrupting the so-called peace with these actions? To me, direct action is about urgency. Uh, you can, uh, I think all types of approaches are necessary to attack a problem like this. We need people who will negotiate with the government. We need people who will write letters. We need people who will donate money. But if you want to escalate an issue to a, a level of urgency, uh, a demand that it be paid attention to, you need that kind of urgent action. You need to uh, raise these issues publicly and shame people. ACT UP did not just you know, without thought, go running into the streets. What we did was a very systematic approach to an issue. So uh, we had different committees that would research issues and bring it to the regular Monday night meeting where hundreds of people showed up every week to discuss all of this and organize. And the meeting would discuss uh, for a long time these issues until we had developed a clear position and had investigated all the angles of it. And then we would try to meet with the people in power. But if we hit a roadblock, either in a meeting refused or a change refused, then we would talk about going into the streets or doing some kind of action. There was always a progression of approaches. We tried to negotiate and talk to people. But if they wouldn't talk to us and we thought they were wrong, then we would take the issue public in an attempt to force them to deal with it by publicly shaming them or just raising the issue publicly. And that was very effective. I want to get into one of the most famous actions that ACT UP orchestrated, um, which is why we're talking today, the, the Stop the Church action. However, before we get there, I want to first acknowledge that we have recently honored the passing of Larry Kramer, 
Um, and the New York Times, in his obituary, uh, called his approach abusive. The New York Times also had a consistent track record of ignoring ACT UP's actions and even misspelling the name ACT UP deliberately, it seemed. Um, and I think a part of that has led people to believe, especially people who lived during the AIDS crisis, that ACT UP was a lot of rabble raising without a lot of change. But we know that to be untrue, right? We know ACT UP to be extremely effective. Well, certainly most prominently and most importantly, forcing a change in the way drugs were evaluated and approved and made available to people. Uh, Until ACT UP started working on this, it took an average of seven years for a drug to to go through the process with the Food and Drug Administration to be approved. We, in our uh, beautiful demonstration at the FDA called Seize the FDA, uh, (laughs) uh, forced them to pay attention, yelled at them for a long time, and they ended up agreeing that they could streamline the process and could allow patients who uh, were otherwise dying access to experimental drugs to give them a chance. I hate to even say this, but I had to laugh recently when uh, Trump uh, said at some uh, press briefing uh, about the coronavirus, they're dying, give them the drugs. (laughs) I thought, oh my God, Trump has become an ACT UP member. Uh, (laughs) That is perverse. We did get the CDC to change the definition of AIDS so that women's uh, illnesses, uh, opportunistic infections were included in the definition so they would become bel- eligible for drugs or benefits or whatever. Uh, we did work on housing issues effectively. We did do all these things across the board that changed what was happening. One of the most famous actions that ACT UP orchestrated was called Stop the Church. In fact, it was recently replayed or reenacted on the show Pose that uh, Ryan Murphy executive produces. Um, And my understanding is that this was a demonstration organized to disrupt a mass being held by Cardinal John O'Connor at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. And it's been reported that 111 protesters were arrested that day, 53 of whom were arrested inside of the church. And Anne, you were there. You were part of that action. Is that correct? Well, not only was I one of the 53 and arrested inside the church, I was one of the six who went to trial over it. Uh, But I will start by uh, amending one thing you said. We did not go there with the intention of disrupting the mass and causing the chaos that in fact, happen. Uh, call us naive uh, because we thought we could control it. And the problem with the Catholic Church in New York City was specifically that representatives of the church, of the archdiocese, were sitting on a city uh, board of education panel that was discussing sex education and HIV education in the schools. Now, they were against condoms, they were uh, against homosexuality, and yet there they were helping make decisions about what education was done in the public schools, not the Catholic schools, the public schools. Uh, Now, the power of the church in New York City is a long story and an ugly one, uh, but we were specifically furious at this at the time. 
And so we started talking about doing something like this. And it was the hardest discussion we ever had in ACT UP. Usually we went through that progression of identifying a problem, discussing it, deciding on an action in a relatively short period of time. It could have been a week, it could have been a couple of weeks. But this one took about six months to decide on. We talked and talked and talked. People were, uh, first of all, there were certainly a lot of uh, either faithful or lapsed Catholics in the room who were offended by this idea. And then there were people who were terrified of the consequences of our doing anything against the church. And we talked about our desire not to cause chaos in the church, but to do it in a way that was uh, reasonable, <laughs> silly us. So we thought about nuns who in the past in the Catholic church had done actions where they would lie silently in the middle aisle of a church to protest the lack of uh, power of women in the church. So we planned all these little parts of it. Who was gonna lie in the center aisle? I was one of those. Who was gonna stand and read a statement, just a few people? Who was gonna do various little things? Now it was a very, very cold December day in 1989. There were thousands of us outside. And this was all publicly uh, advertised. We were not sneaking into the church. We were quite public about our complaints and quite public about our intended action. So we get there on this Sunday morning and uh, the cathedral is closed because they have closed it between masses. They have several masses in the morning so that they could send in police with bomb sniffing dogs to make sure that we had not, uh, you know, we're not going to blow up the cathedral. And, and it should be said, ACT UP was never violent. Never. We never hurt a person. We were always nonviolent. That was part of our credo. We were absolutely dedicated to nonviolence. We were loud. We were rude. Uh, we upset a lot of people, but we were never, ever violent. So uh, we get to the cathedral and it's closed and people are waiting outside. And Peter Staley and I went uh, as, as a couple. <laughs> Peter Staley being a, an also legendary gay activist. Yes. So we were dressed for mass. And we found ourselves uh, wedged up against the wall at one of the entrances to the cathedral. And as we listened to people around us, we realized they were from Operation Rescue, the anti-abortion group who had come down from Buffalo to defend the cathedral. And it got a little scary standing there and listening to them and listening to how angry they were at us and how they expected to have to fight us in the cathedral. And we're thinking, hey, all we're going to do is lie in the center aisle. How challenging is that? So we finally get inside and we can spot all the undercover cops there because they always wear the same thing, white sneakers and baggy jeans. And they're all over the place. And the mayor is inside, Ed Koch, because he is very friendly with the Cardinal and wants to defend him. And the police commissioner is inside. And we're thinking, hmm, this is, this is gonna be a little rough. But we're devoted to our peaceful, uh, if public uh, challenging, 
um, action? Well, I was a little concerned, let's put it that way, but when I got really scared was when the action began uh, because the Cardinal throughout the beginning of the service was warning everybody, we know something's gonna happen, these terrible people are here, we're going to defend our cathedral, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there thinking, mm, I don't know. And then the moment <laughs> came when we were had agreed to act and we, in fact, started acting. The group that was going to speak got up to make their statement, and those of us who were lying in the center aisle moved to the center aisle silently and lay down there silently. But then one of our members, Michael Petrellis, who had thought we were being too tame about this in the first place, got stood up on one of the pews and started screaming at the cardinal. You can see all this in the documentary. Uh, murderer, murderer, you're killing us. And the place went crazy. And all the parishioners and the cops and the mayor and everybody else started screaming at us and attacking us. And I'm lying there in the center aisle and I, that is when I did get scared. That's when I thought I am gonna be murdered just lying here. This is the end of my life. And the altar boys uh, started walking among us on the, in the center aisle and dropping little leaflets on us that had been prepared ahead of time by the Cardinal about what horrible people we were. And it was terrifying. Uh, it was absolutely uh, scary. And some of our people uh, were getting hit and abused by parishioners and it was a mess, it was truly a mess. So then the uniform cops come in and try to quiet everything down and they start uh, picking us up off the floor one by one and putting us on these orange stretchers and carrying us out under arrest. And uh, I happened to be the last person carried out and it was silent by that time, they had uh, quieted down. So as I was being carried out, I started saying loudly, not yelling, but just loudly in the echoing cathedral, we're fighting for your lives too. We're fighting for your lives too. And that was a very poignant moment. So uh, we all got carried out. We all got put in the uh, uh, police vans. We all got taken downtown to be booked and fingerprinted and everything. But as I like to say, I got home in time to watch the last half of the Giants-Broncos game. <laughs> but to me, it, it was again about uh, the power differential. It was about the people in power who are unwilling to give up power and who will do anything to uh, keep everyone else subservient. Uh, it is a mystery to me why we settled for that when we so outnumber them. The whole point of power and leadership should be service. Uh, I think the definition of leadership should be empowering uh, those you're working with. I think I, I remember telling an old girlfriend of mine who was being offered a promotion and who was concerned about her managerial abilities, I said to her, look, the whole point of being a manager is to make your employees successful. Uh, to humble yourself in service to them. Because if they are successful, you are going to be a rock star. So please, when thinking as a manager, think about how to empower your 
employees or your clients or whoever it is that you have that uh, leadership for and make them the focus of your work. It feels important to mention that we're talking at a moment when people are protesting against police brutality all over our country. What do you have to say about what's going on now? Specifically, what do you have to say to our queer community? Well, I would hope that our queer community would see these parallels and realize that this fight is our fight. And I so honor and am grateful for all the activists who have decided that uh, they're not going to take this anymore. Thank you so much for your time today, Anne. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Philip. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. This weekend on June 28th in New York City is the Queer Liberation March for Black Lives and Against Police Brutality. The Reclaim Pride Coalition, in which Anne plays a major role, is responsible for organizing it. I hope that if you can, you'll join the demonstration. I'll be watching from my new home in LA in both awe and solidarity with all of you. There's nothing in this world like being in community with a bunch of loud, proud, and angry New York queers. I love you all. If you, like me, can't make it this weekend in New York, consider making a donation to a Black-led LGBTQ organization. This year's Pride is all about centering Black lives. And in order to do so, we must specifically uplift and honor Black trans lives. Shout out to my friend Raquel Willis's epic chance at the Brooklyn rally for Black trans lives a couple weeks ago. Check out the Trans Justice Funding Project, a fund helping to resource and grow trans-led organizations at transjusticefundingproject.org. I hope you'll make a donation if you can. There's a lot to learn about ACT UP and their ongoing efforts to make the world more equitable for queer and trans people and those of us who are living with HIV. For a very deep dive, I highly recommend checking out the ACT UP Oral History Project at actuporalhistory.org. And if you're going to watch one documentary about the AIDS crisis, I have been assured that the authoritative and de facto film to watch is called United in Anger. You can watch it on YouTube. But before I let you go, I think it's only fair to point out that activists were not the only heroes of the AIDS epidemic. Many nuns and priests actually disobeyed the official teachings of the Catholic Church to do what was right, provide dignity, mercy, acceptance, and prayer to those who were dying of the disease. They are the truest example we have of holy heroism. Here's Father Michael Carnavale, a Franciscan friar in New York. Can I ask you, um... An uncomfortable question. Sure. Did seeing all of that ever make you wonder whether or not God was real? My faith? Sure. 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 Many times I'd say, what the hell is going on? What are you doing? You know, people are just looking to be accepted, to love. I said, isn't that what you said? Love your brother, you know? And what do you say to the people? What do you say? It's God's will? God forbid, that's not God's will. If you believe in God, if you believe in goodness and love, that's what God is. But 
you know, why does God allow things? Well, the only way I can answer that is to say that God is there with us and it's just a natural thing. And I don't think God interferes in things like this. He allows life to go on. I remember one of the fellows, Larry, this particularly young guy, uh, when he was dying, his lover was there, and I tried to get in touch with his, that was his mother and father, and they wouldn't bother. And he said to me, uh, he had become a Catholic, and uh, I said to him, how are you doing? He said, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy. In a certain way, if this did not happen, I really wouldn't have found God and really found the love and devotion that I've received, not only from my lover, but from people around me. And, you know, I couldn't believe that. As we close out this Pride Month, I have a certainty that I never quite had before. God, whoever the hell they are, is absolutely on our side. Unholier Than Now is a product of Crooked Media. Our producer is Lyra Smith, with production support from Camille Peterson and Allison Falzetta. The theme song is by Taka Yasuzawa, and our executive producer is Sarah Geisner. Thanks for listening. And happy Pride, bitches! Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean... Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.